Welcome to the Reunion Church Podcast. We're a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. We hope today's teaching is both challenging and encouraging. If we could be a resource to you on your spiritual journey, don't hesitate to reach out via our website at reunionnyc.com. And today's teaching text comes from John 15, 1 through 8. I'm the true vine, and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire, and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. This is the word of the Lord. you and uh, good morning. If we haven't had the opportunity to meet yet, my name is Russell and I'm one of the pastors here and I'm uh, grateful you're here today and uh, thank you, uh, Rachel, for um, sharing about the things that are coming up in the life of our church, things that we um, get to do to serve together and to celebrate and um, opportunities for um, connection and friendship. I'm going to say there's going to be no crying at billiards uh, tomorrow, but uh, that's my only thing. No, and on, in all seriousness, um, all of these uh, opportunities to celebrate and to serve together are opportunities to invite a friend in. And so as you RSVP, maybe you want to grab your phone and um, you know, text a friend and say, hey, I'm going to my church's Christmas party. Would you want to come with me? It's going to be so fun. And that's all I'm going to say about that for now. Anyway, let's be gracious with our circles of relationships. So there are, there's a lot to cover today um, as we um, begin to wrap up our Emotionally Healthy Spirituality um, uh, series here. Um, and today what I want to do is I want to talk about what's called a rule of life, uh, a set of practices, a set of disciplines that really root us and help us follow Jesus. Um, and if like following Jesus isn't like your thing, but you're here or friend dragged you or whatever, um, this can still be useful to you in your life and your journey. So um, let's pray and then uh, we'll get into this John text here. And so, Father, I love you, and I'm so grateful for um, this community, these people who come together and want to talk about you, want to sing songs to you, um, want to let other people know in our great city um, that you are real and that you matter. And so I pray that today would be um, a time of shaping our minds and our hearts to love you um, more. And so I would just pray right now, what we have not, would you give us? What we know not would you teach us, and what we are not would you make us. In your son's name we pray, amen. All right, so uh, this passage that we find ourselves uh, in here today is in the Gospel of John. There are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And John is like, the first three are called the Synoptic Gospels. John's like, I'm doing my own thing. I don't, I don't care what those guys are doing. I'm doing my own thing. And um, John is sort of an ancient biography, and what, he, what he's trying to do is chronicle the life and the teachings of Jesus. And one of the fascinating things about the gospel is he's really focused in 
uh, like we are trying to do right now, right? Focused in, I know there's some music and stuff going on in the other uh, room, but let's try and hone in here. Um, the Gospels are honed in on the last uh, three years of Jesus' life, and particularly um, in our passage, the last week of Jesus' life. And so what's going on in this John 15 passage is Jesus is looking at his disciples. He's thinking about the end of his life, death, burial, and resurrection, and he's reminding them of what he's called them to. And so this is what he says. I'm the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. So this is not just beautiful language, but Jesus is giving us a picture of how to stay connected to him. He's saying, I'm the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Here's what you and I are. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. We're going to talk about pruning today, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word that I've spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. Notice a mutuality there. There's a relationship, not just we're supposed to abide, but there's actually an abiding in us. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do what? Nothing, right? And so in the ancient Greek, there's no italics, there's no like bolding. And so if you really want to emphasize something, what you need to do is repeat it over and over and over again. And so that's what happens in this passage is the word abide, or um, if you have your Bible out, maybe it says like remain in. What actually happens is, is it's used 10 times as a way of emphasizing what Jesus is asking or calling us to do. And so the Greek word there is meno. Um, my, my translation here says abide. It can, stay, it can say remain in. Um, really, the, what, what it's trying to come across and, and say is remain in me right? Stay in union with me. Stay attached to me. I'm going to go. He's looking at his disciples, and he's like, here's what's going to happen. Before I go, I'm, I'm going to, right? Death, burial, resurrection, but here's what I want you to do. Stay with me. Stay in union with me. It, it doesn't mean uh, you think you got what you needed from Jesus, and now you've moved on like you graduate, but it means like hang there. Stay there with me. I've been thinking a lot during this emotionally healthy series about the additions we sort of add to our life and the way in which um, the externals, um, the way in which, I, I'll, I'll speak for myself here, the way in which I think that if I can solve my external world, then, then my internal will have peace. And so, like, if I could just get, like, a few more deep friendships, then all would be right in my heart, right? If I could just lock in, like, a good rent price, like, I mean this, like, I, it's kind of a joke, but it's, I'm being very serious, like, I feel like my soul would be more at peace, right? If my kids would sleep through the night, please, God, like, I would be at peace in my heart, right? Or maybe you think, like, if I could just meet that person, external factor, then my heart would be right. If I could just stop screwing up, if I could just get organized, if my career would just kick off, if I could fix that, then I would be good here. Now, I want to pause because I actually want to honor that desire in you. Like, I, I, I think that's actually really beautiful that you would be able to articulate, if I could get that, fix that, solve that, then I would actually be at peace. Because this is one of the dangers of this emotionally healthy spirituality journeys that we've been on. And I've been thinking in, in a lot about this because we've been talking about understanding our family of origin, right? And I think in one sense, we can come to the, the, the idea that, you know what, if I can just grasp my family of origin, then all is going to be right in me. Or if I could just do the, the Sabbath well, then all would be right in me, right? If I, if I, we talked about conflict last week. If I could just do conflict well, all would be right in my world. But 
I want to sort of take the emotionally healthy spirituality series journey that we've been on, and I want to put it right under this text and say, this is where actually where it's supposed to be. All of those things are a means to an end. All of those things are a means to an end, and the end is Jesus. All of those things are a means to an end, and Jesus is the end. And so I want to resituate emotionally, uh, emotional health here, and here's where I want to place it, who we say we want to be as a church, Right? What do we say? We say Reunion Church is a community following Jesus, seeking the good of our city. And I want to hone in on that first part, a community following Jesus. That's the primary thing that we do. And if we can abide, if we can remain in him, if we can um, come up under him and continue to follow him, then um, we can do the other things well too. And I want to show you that today. So 2,000 years ago, here's what Jesus did. Jesus gathered a small group of friends and trainees with him in the Galilean hillsides. He sent them out two by two to baptize, to teach, and to make apprentices of his, disciples of him from all walks of life. And even if like, you wrestle with aspects of the Christian faith, if you're like, I don't, I don't know what all that is, and you're, like, you're, you're wrestling with it, that's fine. You cannot argue the fact that Jesus took 12 people and revolutionized the world, right? He took, or he started a movement that was contagious. And not only that, he started a movement that was perpetual, right? Twelve people growing, growing, and growing. And possibly the most important question is, is how did he do that? Like, how did he do that? Like, if you're in, like, marketing, this should be your question. Like, Jesus should be your example. Like, how, how did he do that? That's, incre- that's incredible, right? But this is how he did it. It was through inviting apprentices to be with him and to be like him. Come with me. Come see how I live. Come see what I do. Just come with me and be like me. Or to abide, to stay in union with Jesus and become like him. And when we do this, what we actually find is that we become more the person God wants us to be. That's, that's the journey, right? And so the command to abide here is actually living our lives from the very presence of Jesus and cultivating a moment-by-moment, day-by-day connectedness to him, or that, that word comes back, abide. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. But, let's be honest, our, uh, our modern world doesn't exactly uh, accommodate a rhythm of life for thriving as a disciple of Jesus. It just doesn't, right? I don't know if you do this, but sometimes I leave church and I'm like really motivated. I leave church and I'm like, I want what we spoke about today. That sounds amazing. Like I want to pray more. I want to slow down. I want to be a compassionate and a more generous person. And then Monday by noon, I'm like, not a chance, right? Like I'm moving on from that. That was yesterday, right? And so we, we actually desire things. And actually part of, part of it is, that's really important is that's why we, we come together, is to begin to shape our desires, to remind ourselves, you know what, actually it is in my life the thing that I desire the most. I want to love God. Like, that's the thing that I want to do. Um, James K. Smith says that love, love takes practice. And I love that idea that actually coming to church isn't just about like being a little bit entertained or getting some information, but it's actually about um, uh, shaping our desires so that we love God the most, Right? But so often, what do we do is we say, you know what, this guy's right, I should pray more. I should, and thank you, I appreciate you saying that, but here's, here's the thing, is you, you walk out of here and you say, okay, you know, how do I take that discipline that we talked about today, and how do I cram it into my already busy schedule? 
right? How do I just add it into the things that I'm already doing? Like time alone makes what we're going to talk about today difficult, right? You're going to be here um, today, um, you know, worshiping in community, sitting under, you know, the word today. We're going to do that. I'll give you an hour and a half, right? We'll include some of your uh, transportation time, right? We're doing the work of formation today, right? Maybe you're in a community group. There's another hour and a half. That's three hours a week. And in one sense, that's a big commitment, right? Three hours a week is a big commitment. But in another sense, it's, it's not a lot of time, right? Is three hours a week enough to shape your heart and your mind towards Jesus being your end, right? I want to have my mind and my heart shaped to love, but is that enough time to do it? Um, I don't know if any of you um, have ever read um, some of, like, the habit gurus. Uh, I kind of geek out over, like, James Clear. He wrote Atomic Habits, The Power of Habit, or Cal Newport wrote uh, the book Deep Work. And essentially what they say in these books is that your life is perfectly designed to produce the results you're currently getting. Your life is perfectly designed to get the results that you're currently getting. Now, I want to acknowledge, I think this is actually a severe oversimplification, and it's actually a quite privileged thing to be able to say something like that. Um, it fails to take into account um, life circumstances. But I think for many of us in the room, we'd say that's actually true. My life is perfectly designed to produce the results I'm currently getting. Here's an example. If this is triggering for you, I'm sorry. Did anybody wake up this morning and get a screen time alert? All right? These are brutal. Like, I do not, I don't want those. How do I turn those off? Somebody find me after. What about this? I, I was um, trying to figure out um, sort of the difference this week between screen time in our lives. And this chart, it's a little bit small, but I'll kind of walk us through it here. Um, the black um, line is uh, over the years, the hours per day um, in, on the TV. And so in 2014, the average time spent was four hours and 20 minutes. And then you begin to see it taper down into 2021. It was three hours and 22 minutes. All right. And then the red is um, smartphones, mobile devices. And what you find there is it was, um, in 2014, it was two and a half hours on your mobile device, and then you can see a steady um, um, increase up to averaging over just, or sorry, under four hours a day. Does your screen time reflect the person you are? That's just a question. We'll just leave that there, right? And does your screen time reflect the person you want to be? I'm, just, I don't, I'm not answering the question for you, but like, is that who you want to be. Here's a quote from a theologian. His name is Herman Bavnik. And listen to this. This was actually written in um, 1899. 1899, he said this, uh, Calvinist uh, theologian. He says, the more abundantly the benefits of civilization come streaming our way, like what was it at that, that point, the emptier our lives become. With all its wealth and power, it only shows that the human heart in which God has put eternity is so huge that all the world is too small to satisfy it, right? The human heart in which God has put eternity is so huge that all the world is too small to satisfy it, right? The modern world is not designed to accommodate a rhythm of life for thriving as a disciple of Jesus. It's just not right? And that's going to be a tension that I think we're, we're going to have to live with. This is why Jesus says this, abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing, right? And when we do this, we become more the person God desires us to be. What ends up happening to us is that we live in hope 
rather than in despair. We live in peace rather than in anxiety, and we live in joy rather than cynicism or fear. That is the result of abiding. That's the life that we so want. The sort of lingering problem or question then becomes like, cool, how, right? How, how is it that I do that? And for centuries, writers and thinkers um, have been saying, you have to practice. You have to practice it. Actually, even Paul said it in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. He says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. I love the Greek there. It's mimetai. He's saying like, mimic me, mime me, do, do the things that I do and do them over and over and over again so that this thing becomes a habit in your life. And so that leads us to the place of a solution, which is this rule of life thing that we've kind of alluded to over the last couple of weeks. What is a rule of life? A rule of life is a set of practices and rhythms that create space and structure for us to be in union, union with Jesus. It's a set of practices and rhythms that create space and structure for us to be in union with Jesus. In Emotionally Healthy Spirituality, Pete Scazzaro says that a rule of life, very simply, is an intentional, conscious plan to keep God at the center of everything that you do. And so I want to show you some examples uh, today. This is not sort of like a one-size-fits-all, like here's exactly how to, how, how to do this thing. Um, I've seen a rule of life um, in calendar form. I've seen it in a document. I've seen them on web pages. I've seen them as uh, lists. Um, but let me rewind a little bit and um, jump into like what, what this is or where it co comes from. This rule of life is a concept that was popularized by St. Benedict, who was an Italian monk in the fourth century, um, and he wrote out a very pragmatic guide for spiritual rhythms in days, weeks, months, and years, and they were really honed in around the, these three virtues, humility, silence, and obedience. And so this week, I went, and I was like, I'm going to read this whole rule of life. Not a chance. It is 73 pages. It is like this dude's life is like down to the fine tune. It would be like he's like an Enneagram one, like for sure, all right? So if, if, if you're interested in looking more into detail of like where this came from, you can actually just Google that, St. Benedict's Rule. Um, but like he's talking about meditative readings, um, describing ways of working and praying simultaneously. But then there was like very common practical things in there, clothing, sleeping arrangements, food and drink, care for the sick, um, reception uh, of guests. And I was like, this is thorough. It's like too, too much uh, for someone like me. And then I kind of came across that. I was like, that actually does feel like rules. But it's not rules of life. That, that's not what it is. It's rule of life. And the, the word, the, the word rule there actually comes from the Latin. It's where the word trellis comes from. And what a trellis does is it um, attaches to a wall um, or it can stand alone and the vine can grow along the trellis. Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, right? Without a trellis, a vine can grow. It can actually just grow on the ground, but it's chaotic. It's vulnerable to predators or to disease. And generally what happens is it falls short of its fruitful potential, right? That's what, the, that's what actually our passage is telling us. And so a trellis is a support system. Um, is it necessary? In some ways it is for the thriving. Um, can, the, can it grow without it? I guess it can, but a rule of life is the same way. It's a tool, right? It's not a, a rigid to-do list. It's not a way to show off or to prove your love for God, but it's a tool to, um, that could provide life-giving um, structure for freedom and growth in your life. And so practices might include, and we'll walk through some of these, work, prayer, 
Sabbath, community, fasting. These are things that you put inside of your rule to say, this is an intentionality that I want to have so that I can grow, right? And so, in one sense, maybe, maybe the, the most important thing to say here is that you, you actually have a rule of life. Like, you have a way that you do life. You have a rhythm. You have um, a system, a, a way you get out of bed in the morning, the way you go to work, the way that you uh, sleep, the way that you keep up with friends and, and spend money. All of us have it, but is that system helping you in your spiritual journey walk with Jesus? That sort of becomes the question. So what about Jesus? Did Jesus have a rule of life? Um, I think that he did. Um, when, I, when I was kind of scanning back through the Gospels this week, I saw him taking time in community, sharing the Gospel, studying the Scriptures, attending synagogue. Um, I came across this passage um, here in Matthew chapter 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And what did Jesus do? He fasted 40 days and 40 nights. He was hungry. And so there was an intentionality that Jesus took in going out into the wilderness. Um, he made space for work, for um, like deeds of compassion, but then over and over again, we see this in this Luke chapter 5 passage, but he would withdraw to, de- to desolate places and pray. And so Jesus had a life of intentionality, a, a rhythm and a way of, of doing things to prioritize relationships, but also to disengage with relationships. He had a rule of life. Uh, maybe another example would be helpful. Um, maybe you've heard of Dorothy Day. Um, I loved reading about Dorothy Day this week. She was a social activist. Actually, if you go on her Wikipedia page, it says she's an anarchist, uh, which is fascinating. But she turned into a Catholic writer, and she did ministry for the poor right here in the city. Um, I went down this uh, rabbit hole. I want to read some of her books. You can read an article. It's a little bit shorter um, from The New Yorker from 2020 called Dorothy Day's Radical Faith. Um, And what she did is she started... Um, these, this organization called the House of Hospitality. It was hunger prevention, and then um, it was a, a place for those experiencing homelessness. Um, and many of them, this is amazing, many of them actually still exist in the city. Um, I walked by one recently, about a month ago, on 2nd Ave and 5th Street called Mary House. Um, that was started by her. There's another one on 1st Street right here called St. Joseph, and there's another one on Mott Street that I, they actually left the address to in her Houses of Hospitality Um, like article, but it's a massage parlor now, so don't go there. So she had a rule of life. That was my whole point, is that she had a rule of life. She um, received the Eucharist daily. She read the Bible daily. She kept a journal, and for her, it was a form of of prayer. Um, She said that when she looked at the poor, what she wanted to do was see the face of Christ so that when she was serving people, she would remember, it's not just them that I serve, but it's my God. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr., he developed a rule of life um, in his nonviolent protests um, in the civil rights movement. Uh, He emphasized spiritual practices. And so every demonstrator at Birmingham had to agree to these 10, that they would meditate daily on the teachings and life of Jesus as a way of of combating um, nonviolence, or or, of participating in nonviolence. Remember always the nonviolent movement in Birmingham seeks justice and reconciliation, not victory that they would walk and talk in the manner of love, for God is love, pray daily to be used by God in order that all might be free, that they would sacrifice personal wishes in order that all might be free, that they would observe with both friend and foe the ordinary rules of courtesy, that they would seek to perform regular service for others and the world, and then three more here, refrain from violence of fist, tongue, or heart, strive to be in good spiritual and bodily health, and that they would follow the direction of the movement and the captains of a demonstration. 
It was actionable, right? It was a, a system, a, a way of boundaries to say, these are the things that I'm going to do, and these are the things I'm not going to do. Um, I have a rule of life. Uh, I was required to do this in seminary, but I put it in document form, and it wasn't for me. Like, this, this way in the system, like, written like a 12-page paper wasn't my way, and so I did it. I turned it in, and I got a grade, and it was fine, but I realized that, like, that wasn't for me, and then um, in 2020, when the pandemic struck, I thought, I need a framework. Like, I, I need to know, like, what I'm supposed to do with my days because they're all flowing together, and I, I don't know what I'm doing, and so um, I made this uh, rule of life. It's really small. I'm happy to send it to you, um, but this was my rule of life, and then the, the model comes from a guy... Um, it's a book called The Common Rule, and his name is James something. I can't remember what his, his name is. But um, the, top, the top part of it says, here's the things that I'm going to embrace. And then the bottom says, here's the things that I'm going to resist. On the left side, it says, love God. And on the right side, it says, love neighbor. On the smaller circle, those, are, those were daily practices. And then broader were weekly practices. And so I can walk you through them here. Like my daily habits were, was scripture before phone. So I can look at my phone, but I have to read scripture before I grab my phone. Um, at that time, I was trying to intermittent fast Monday through Friday. Every day, I would just turn my phone off for one hour. Um, another daily habit was news twice a day. I, I, um, I don't know if you did this, but at the beginning of the pandemic, I, every probably hour, you know, I'm trying to like figure out like what's happening in the world. And I realized I needed, I needed to decide how I would engage with the news. And so I would look at the news once in the morning, once at lunch, and never before bed so I could sleep at night. Um, two meals a day with family. Um, it was a time that was actually beautiful in some ways for our family, really close-knit, me, Rose, and Katie just eating um, meals together. Katie and I would pray before bed, and then, uh, remember this, uh, one physically distant, distance walk a day. And then my weekly habits were um, a full 24-hour Sabbath, one conversation, one one-hour conversation with a friend weekly, a date night with Katie, and then um, worship virtually. And so it was just a way of things I'm going to embrace. And then you notice on there, there are things that I'm actually resisting too. There are things that, that I'm saying, hey, actually, this needs to be pruned from my life. I don't want to look at the news, you know, 18 times in one day, right? So that's kind of a picture of what a rule of life could like, look like for you. I like the simple, like, visual target, and it's kind of helpful. Um, but the point is, is what works for you in figuring out spiritual rhythm? Margaret Gunther is an Episcopal priest, and she says this, a good rule can set us free to be our true and best selves. It's a working document, a kind of spiritual budget, not carved in stone, but subject to regular review and revision. It should support us, but never constrict us. And so it's, it's there to support, like a trellis, right? And what is it supporting? The abiding it's assisting in helping us abide. So I want to kind of uh, jam through some of these practices here, um, and then uh, we'll wrap up today. You're like, what, okay, what do, what do we put in there, right? What are, what are some of the things that we put in there? And l these are just suggestions, but here's the first three. Sabbath, silence and solitude, and fasting. Sabbath, we talked about this two weeks ago, but it's about a sustainable life rhythm, right? It's time set aside to rest, typically a 24-hour period, but we should not look at it in a legalistic way because it is a gift from God. What about silence in solitude? Intentional time in quiet to be alone with God. In our city, this is one of the most valuable spiritual practices to find a space that is completely quiet, if you can, and to just be. 
fasting, a willing abstinence from food or really anything for a set amount of time. And I put these three first because what these three um, can be called are container disciplines, meaning what? Other things fit in them, right? So the other practices that I'm going to talk about are really beautiful because other disciplines can actually go inside of Sabbath, right? You're taking time set aside. Well, what do we do in that time? Pray, read scripture, have community, Silence and solitude, same thing. The, the other disciplines can fit up underneath of these. And don't forget, pruning, right? Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away, and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes. And so when we're thinking about a rule of life, we should also be thinking, what do we need to say no to? What are the things that we actually need to prune out of our schedule because our time is already full, all right? All right, next ones practices within the rule, hospitality, vocation and work, generosity, scripture, prayer, and community. And actually, one more note um, from, from mine, uh, my rule, like the one hour a day with my phone off. I got that from a friend of mine. He does this with his phone. It's one hour a day with his phone off, one day a week with his phone off completely, and then one week a year he turns his phone off. And so I just love that. It's like, a, I don't know, does that sound extreme, the, the one week? I'm getting some looks, so maybe that's a little extreme. But hospitality, creating safe and open sp uh, space where a friend or a stranger can experience care and friendship. That should be a part of your rule, caring and giving to other people. Vocation or work, putting your God-given skills and abilities to work. Generosity, giving freely of your resources, time and money. Scripture, studying God's word. That could include like a, a devotional reading. It could be like a fixed hour daily reading. It could be a memorization. Prayer, lifting our hearts and our minds to God. Community, right? Companions along for this journey. And I cannot reiterate enough, these are tools, right? They are means to an end. They help and aid us in our loving union with Jesus, all right? And so one of the things I love about this passage is um, it's very descriptive and not prescriptive, right? Jesus is saying like, here's what I want you to do. I want you to abide. And you and I come to it really practically sometimes and we're like, well, how do I do that? How do I do that? So let me just give you four suggestions and then we'll wrap up here. Suggestions for crafting a rule of life. Start small. And you know what? I would say this too. If you're like um, going to uh, like January 2nd, you're going to be like, what should my New Year's resolutions be? Yell at yourself, because this is a way of thinking about it. This is a more sustainable way of thinking about how you're actually not going to fail at your New Year's resolutions, um, you know, in February. So, suggestions here. Start small. Some of you are excited right now, and you're like, I got 12 things I got to put on my rule, and I'm like crafting this document already. Like, I got my pictures. Just start small. Start where you are, not where you want to be. Write down where you want to be. That's awesome. You want to pray an hour a day? Congratulations. That is an awesome goal. Start with five minutes if you're doing zero minutes. Start with five minutes so you can take steps towards it. That is an awesome goal. But what is realistic and doable for you right now? Um, number two, think subtraction over addi um, addition. We're busy, right? Consider giving yourself more time by cutting out things. Maybe, you, you know, you look at your, your calendar and you're like, you know what, I've been very, very social lately and I am very tired. Maybe it's, it's okay to say, hey, you know what, some things I need to prune is like, I'm actually not going to go out four nights this week. I'm actually going to do three or two to slow myself down, right? Uh, that's what that word was in my personal um, rule of life was resisting. What am I resisting? All right. Um, consider your stage of life. 
This is so important. How old are you? What, what is your personality? What drains you? What gives you life? A, a mom with two kids rule of life it better look different than a single college student's life. That's, that's just facts, right? So be realistic about who you are, your stage, and your season of life. And for some of you, that means actually pushing. Like, I have more to give, right? I need to go to the, to the list and say, actually, I want to serve more, and I can actually give more. And the last one is to be specific and to be flexible. So, you know, instead of writing down rest more, right, I'm going to do two Saturdays a month, I'm going to do nothing from eight to four, right? So be specific with uh, your time. If you're going to fast, say, I'm going to fast breakfast and lunch every Thursday from now until Easter. That's a way of being specific. And I don't know if you ever read this, you can Google it. Um, it's called SMART Goals, Specific, Measurable, Attainable, Relevant, and Time-Based. And so if you actually put like a time on those, it'll actually um, make it more of a possibility to do it. So this is where I want to wrap up. I think that um, we're going to revisit this as a church in the next year. And what I mean by that is um, our church has a rhythm. Like, um, you know, us as a body have, have a way of doing things. What's sustainable? What is asking too much? What is something we can actually be doing corporately um, to model this type of, of the rest and abiding that we want to see so that we're not running around anxious, um, tired, or, you know, we show up to church with sort of like, oh, I have nothing left to give. So what does that look like for us in the future? So let me read this passage, and I will pray. This is Paul I'm in Romans 12 in the message. So here's what I want you to do, God helping you. Take your everyday, ordinary life, your sleeping, eating, going to work, and walking around life and place it before God as an offering. Embrace what God does for you as the best thing you can do for him. Don't become so well-adjusted to your culture that you fit into everything without even thinking. Instead, fix your attention on God. You'll be changed from the inside out. Readily recognize what he wants from you and quickly respond to it. Unlike the culture around you, always dragging you down to its level of immaturity, God brings the best out of you and develops a well-formed maturity in you. Let's pray. So, Lord, I love you, and I thank you for just a, an intentionality to a, a way of being deliberate with our time and with our attention. And there are so many different things that can pull us in so many different directions. It doesn't mean that the joy of our life is sucked out, but rather we give intentionally to, to you, to our friends, that we would actually have a, a way of being a system of our life that actually roots us in you so that we, we know how to live this purpose-filled life that you've called us to. And so I pray that we would be a church that does exactly that, that we remain in you, that um, yes, we want to grow in areas of conflict resolution and understanding our past, but more importantly, we want to follow you and be rooted to you so that we can become more like you. And so God, we praise you for this time as we come to the communion table. I just ask, Lord, that we would be reminded um, of your sacrifice, of the way that you loved us, the way that you gave your life for us, that gives us hope over our sins. And so, God, meet us here as we partake of the bread and the cup. It's in your name we pray. Amen.